Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors, endless stories. Friends in Fiction is a podcast with five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound them together with chats, author interviews, and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Best-selling novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. At the start of the pandemic, they got together for a virtual happy hour to talk about their books, their favorite bookstores, writing, reading, and publishing in this new uncharted territory. They're still talking, and they've added fascinating discussions with other best-selling novelists. So join them live on their Friends and Fiction Facebook group page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, or listen and view later at your leisure. Welcome. This is Friends in Fiction, five best-selling novelists, endless stories. We are five writers and friends whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores binds us together, along with some secrets we won't tell. (laughs) And this is our weekly Friends in Fiction show. Tonight is actually our 10th show. I I can't believe it. What started as just a Zoom cocktail party for friends who missed each other has been transformed into this. So I am Patty Callahan Henry, and I am hosting tonight. My latest historical novel is called Becoming Mrs. Lewis, and my latest contemporary is called The Favorite Daughter. And as you can see, we are missing one of our posse tonight. Christy Woodson Harvey isn't here tonight, but she will be back next week, and we already miss her like crazy. But ladies, go around and introduce yourselves and tell us your latest book, and then we'll get going. I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and my recent book is Hello, Summer, which came out May 5th. I'm Kristen Harmel. My latest is The Book of Lost Names, not to be confused with The Book of Lost Friends, which is coming in July, in about a month. Hi, I'm Mary Alice Monroe, and my recent novel is On Ocean Boulevard. And this is Friends in Fiction. Tonight, as you can see, we have a new face among us, and we are so thrilled to be hosting our dear friend Lisa Wingate. We've been off camera for a little bit and saying, don't tell us anything more. So you can tell all of our our listeners. So Lisa and I published our debut novels, not only with the same publishing house, but with the same editor, Ellen Edwards, back at New American Library in the early 2000 years. And we have been talking publishing, writing, stories, family, kids, grandkids, moving, for a really long while. And when I say talking, I also mean whining and confetching and celebrating (laughs) and brainstorming. We've been roommates, we've shared hotels, we've shared houses, we've been through a lot. So So what are friends for, right? (laughs) So let me tell you about our friend Lisa. Lisa writes most of her novels at home in Texas, although tonight she is in Colorado where she is part of what she calls, and I love this, the Wingate clan of storytellers. 
I think that sounds like the title of a book, The Wingate Clan of Storytellers. <laughs> she is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Before We Were Yours, which stayed on the bestseller list for 54 weeks. 54 weeks and sold over 2 million copies. Mm-hmm. And her new book, The Book of Lost Friends, came out just last month, which is not, as we said, to be confused with our <laughs> beloved Kristen Harmel's book of lost names that comes out on July 21st. Lisa has authored more than 30 novels and co-authored a nonfiction book based on Before We Were Yours called Before and After with Judy Christie. I could list all of her awards, which are so many that we wouldn't have time to ask questions and we wouldn't have time to chat with her. And we want to hear her and we want to hear her writing tip. So just believe me, she has loads of awards. And let me tell you that if you have a question for Lisa, post it during this chat on our Friends in Fiction Facebook page. If you see under this video, you can post a question and we'll be pulling a few live questions in a little bit. But before we get really started, I also want to remind all of us that the reason we got started on this endeavor, and that's our love for indie bookstores. As you all know, each of us at Friends in Fiction are passionately supportive of independent booksellers. Each week, we highlight one indie, and tonight it is in my hometown. It is Thank You Books in Birmingham, Alabama. They opened right before COVID hit, and they have been so supportive in our community, and they are graciously giving you 10% off tonight on our books. So the link to the bookstore is posted on our Friends in Fiction page. So Lisa, welcome. Welcome. We're all going to be you. We're so excited you were coming. That's so good. Thank you. I miss all of you, but um, this is the next best thing, right? Without the hugs. Um, yes. So first off, I want to ask you what you, we've all talked for 10 episodes now about what we've been doing during the pandemic. What have you been doing during this crazy pandemic time? Oh, wow. Um, you know, a lot of it for me has been because we hit right on the cusp of the shutdown. This book released April 7th. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, mid-March, I was supposed to be flying around for pre-events and to sign copies that would be sent out to the bookstores and, you know, and then they started kind of saying, you know, maybe, maybe don't travel and, you know, and then it was the shutdown happened. And so we've mostly been scrambling, just trying to figure out how do you navigate um, all the virtual technology? Uh, you know, how do you cancel an entire book tour, cancel right. airline tickets, cancel, you know, everything that was supposed to happen. Um, and, and also, you know, how, how did, how to navigate that. My husband is uh, teaches physics and chemistry, so he's been teaching online. So we sort of have Zoom wars at the at the house. <laughs> he needs to teach, and I and I need to Zoom with a group or whatever. And so um, you know, it's it's just been a. But the great thing about it, um, there were so many people who came to the virtual events mm-hmm. who said, you know, I your book tour wasn't coming anywhere near me. I never would have. I've never gotten to, you know, go see you. So, I mean, for every curse, there's a blessing, I think. And, you know, so certainly this has not been how we planned on 2020 starting out um, at all. But, you know, for all those canceled plans, I did get to meet virtually long distance, a lot of people um, I wouldn't have gotten to otherwise. 
that's good. positive. That's yeah, very good positive. Point. It's nice to hear the positives. And and we've noticed too, because we probably wouldn't get to see each other once a week if we hadn't learned yeah. how to hang out like this in a new and different way. That doesn't mean we don't want the old back because we do, but yeah. there is some, a silver lining. But ladies, I want to ask you, what have you been up to all week? And I actually kind of want to hit on, because we've been <laughs> writing together, I want to hit on, you know, we've been months now, um, you know, kind of locked down, none of us on book tour, all of us losing book tour. What kept you on the page this week? Is it easier now than it was when we first started, you know, first started hanging out together? Tell me about your week and, and how you've been doing that. I want to hear. Well, you and Mary Kay have been whip, snapping the whip. That's <laughs> you two. Thank you. I mean, I don't know. The two of you started it. And that means at seven o'clock in the morning, y'all have been getting on and starting to write. And when I found that, I said, help, can I join too? <laughs> and so I joined. Now I think we're all on it, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's made a difference. Thank yeah. you, guys. Really. It, it really has. I was getting so stressed out because I mean, I, my book deadline's in November, but I wasn't really, I was just inching every week a, a little, yeah. you know, less far than I needed to be getting. And it was yeah. stressing me out every day. Like it was making me less of a good mom to my son and less of a good wife to my husband. And, you know, cause it was always on my mind. I have been like the best version of myself all three weekdays oh. this week because I've joined you every morning and I've gotten those words out. So thank you, not just for helping me get the words on the page, but for making me a better human. <laughs> That's oh, wow. all I've ever wanted. <laughs> How did Mary you Kay. come up with the idea? I'll let Mary Kay tell us. Patty and I had been doing, we call it writing sprints. And basically you just uh, text somebody usually in the morning and say, hey, let's do a sprint. And so it's sort of like free writing. You just let go, move your hands across the keyboard. And, you know, I always have a goal. It's at least 500 words. But as we've been doing, Patty, we've been doing it, what, 17 days now in a row? 17 days, yeah. 17 or 18 days. And so it's 6 a.m. where Patty is. It's, I mean, it's seven, but it helps me. Um, I finally have my head in this book, which is due to my editor in October, and I hadn't been able to get my head in the book. So it's been great for me. And when we first did it, the first couple of times, we actually did it in the afternoon. We were texting about something else, and you said, let's do a sprint. I said, ready, go. And then it just kind of inched towards morning. And then one day I had to get up early, and somehow that stuck. I want to change that. But anyway. <laughs> no, I love it that it's I love that it's early because yeah. I'm a morning writer, but lately I've been like sipping the coffee. And I think this whole COVID thing has just really blew my schedule off. Oh, everybody. But I, yeah, the attention, but this just got us back on it. Yeah. So I appreciate it. How about it. you, Lisa? Do you write better in the morning or better in the afternoon or, or what? Um, Better in the afternoon, but it's fun listening to you guys talk because when it was the book of lost friends kind of was written in the chaos. It wasn't going to be my next book. And then we changed plans. And so anyway, it was, I needed to get it written and it was written in the chaos of, of everything that happened with before we were yours and lots of travel and all that. But uh, Judy Christie and I started doing writing sprints. And I was never a person who thought mm. that was something that, you know, that, that would be useful to me at all. And she suggested it one day and, uh, and we started it and the whole book of lost friends was really written 
on those writing oh, wow. every day. We'd have, we'd meet in the morning at a certain time and we'd talk about where we were and we'd be like, okay, go, right. I'll check back in with you at noon and then we'd eat lunch. And then, you know, so yeah, I get it completely. That's so awesome. speaking of it, give us the, um, dreaded elevator pitch of, of your cover. Yeah. And the yeah, cover and the book of love friends. Um, which beautiful is cover. backwards, it is, I gorgeous. think on screen, but anyway, you can read it backwards. Um, <laughs> it, uh, so yeah, I love this cover. I think it, the, this story is about a very, um, kind of an odyssey journey through, through, uh, from South Louisiana to Texas, the historical part in 1875. So this reminded me of those old, you know, you go into some old house that the decorations have been the same in it since about the turn of the century. And there are those, um, utopia Western scene paintings. Oh, yes. um, that That's what this reminded me of. So I thought it was kind of perfect. So the Book of Lost Friends, I don't exactly have an elevator pitch for it, but it's a story inspired by the real life Lost Friends ads, which I had never heard of. I'll tell you later how I came to hear about them, but I love those little pieces of history that I didn't know about and they just blow my mind wide open. The Lost Friends ads were written in um, the years after the Civil War at through the early 1900s. And what they were, were the desperate letters to the editor of families who'd been separated during slavery, hoping that through these advertisements, they might find news of their family members, many of whom they hadn't seen in decades. And so that's the, the little historical nugget behind um, this story. And we've talked oh, about yeah. your decision to write before we were yours and then the decision to write the book of lost friends. And you told me how both. And so I'm going to let you talk about what you just said that you, you've told me how both of those ideas came to you. And I know that all of us get the question, where did you come up with that? What made you want to write about that? And I think the story for both of those is really interesting. So tell us how both before we were yours and the book of lost friends came to you because I think it's fascinating. So completely by accident, I don't know about all of you, but if I went looking for the nuggets, I think I would never find them. Yeah. I always come across them when I think I'm looking for something else. Yep. Um, but before we were yours, I was actually just up late on deadline with another book and I had left the TV playing, um, but turned the sound off because I knew I was going to pull an all-nighter and you know, it's just it's some company in the room. Yeah. And but in the middle of the night, this episode of Discovery Channel's Deadly Women came on and I looked up and I saw this um, mansion house with all these baby bassinets in it. And I thought, what and what is this? You know, and of course, I turned it on and watched. And I it was the story of Georgia Tan and these um, corrupt orphanages in Memphis um, from about the 20s through the 50s. And her adoptions for profit business and how she made millions of dollars doing it and how a lot of some of the kids were orphans, but a lot of them she just stole from poor families. So, you know, I was fascinated. I thought, how does someone get away with this? How does it go on for decades? Why didn't somebody stop it? Um, so, you know, when you're curious, you know, when you're curious, then you dig in and you learn more and you think, what was it like to live this? Um, the Book of Lost Friends, the the historical Lost Friends ads, which I had also never heard of, um, never tripped across them while doing other internet research or anything like that. But a reader wrote to me. I was in a committed relationship with another manuscript. Uh, <laughs> this is supposed to be my next book. Um, 
And, and I had finished the rough draft of it before I went on tour with Before We Were Yours. So it was like a shoe in. I just needed to edit it and turn it in, you know, in time. But a reader wrote to me, I was procrastinating one afternoon on the porch checking email. And um, this woman in New Orleans, Diane Plochet, who was volunteering for the Historic New Orleans Collection Museum, wrote to me and she said, I just finished Before We Were Yours. And it reminds me of some work I'm doing for the museum. And I just thought you might like to know about it. And to the bottom of the email, she told me she was entering these old ads in a database for genealogists and historians, et cetera. And these ads have been gathered from all over the place, um, various archives at universities, the back files of libraries, uh, just wherever something might survive that's that old. And she had attached a few ads and they were these amazing stories of these families who had been separated um, all those years ago and uh, their stories have been buried in these file cabinets. You know, most of these people were probably, um, their graves, many of them, their graves are probably unmarked. It's enough generations back that many of the families, those stories die out over time. These people's names are gone from the earth and then they bubble back up in these old newsprint blotchy, you know, late 18, late 1870s on um, ads that are just, it's like these people rise from the grave and tell their stories in their own voices. Uh -huh. And I was fascinated. I went to the database and just fell down the well of reading oh, yeah. all these stories of all these families who's, you know, like I said, many of these families, um, their stories are gone from the earth and yet here they are on the internet, something they never could have imagined <laughs> in those days. Wow. I, I mean, I remember you telling me that and it being, you know, I was like, but you have a finished manuscript. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, that's okay, right. That's a big deal to set yeah. that aside, to make that, and courageous to set that aside. Yeah. It is. It's brave. Kristen, yeah. what do you want to ask? I know you have a great question. Yeah. So this is kind of slightly going off on a different track. Now, I know all these other ladies know you. That This is really your first time, our first time meeting face to face. But I will tell you, I already knew you were like the nicest human on the planet because when, when the Book of Lost Friends came out, we were all sort of trying to get our footing under us and trying to figure out how we were going to promote our books that had just come out or were just about to come out. Um, you not only launched a success book, but you found a way to use your platform for good by starting the Read Together, Feed Together Challenge to raise thousands of dollars for local food banks. Can you talk a little bit about that, why you decided to do that, kind of what you were able to do with it, and in general, what you think our opportunity is as authors to do some good in the world? Sure. Um, so feeding in food banks has been a passion of mine for quite a few years. Um, for a few different reasons. One of them just being that when my kids were small, we moved to small towns and, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. So everybody's about like you, they're about at your income level. They live about like you do. Their parents do jobs that are kind of like your parents' jobs. But a small town is a microcosm of society and all living there very close. And, you know, began to be aware. I would teach um, Sunday school on Wednesday nights when my kids were little. And it, it, we quickly, it quickly, I quickly started seeing kids stuff snacks in their pockets. Six and seven-year-olds grab a younger brother or sister by the hand and bring them because there was going to be food there and, and, you know, people who would be nice to them and, and let them make crafts and whatever. And 
Um, so, you know, kind of that's where I became aware of the fact that there were kids in our community. And the more I got involved with the schools, um, you know, you hear of school bus drivers who are keeping snacks on the bus because kids are hungry and teachers who are keeping little Debbie's in the file cabinet or whatever, you know, Fig Newtons or whatever's cheap. Um, so they'll have something for kids who are showing up hungry. And so um, then when COVID hit, um, I it, it became very clear very early on that a lot of people were going hungry. And on a little junket with my husband, we passed um, this just out in the wilds of Oklahoma, we passed this uh, church out in the country and cars were just lined up like a line at Disney World, snaking, 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 snaking. And I looked at my husband and said, that must be the biggest funeral ever. And the police were actually out on the highway so that nobody would wreck into each other as, you know, and I mean, there are hundreds of cars. It's about 95 degrees. So you can, these people are sitting out in the heat and, um, and, you know, I said, what in, what in the world do you think they're doing? Cause this is during COVID. And, um, so I couldn't stand, I looked it up. There had been an advertisement that truckload of food was coming to be distributed. Oh, wow. And in that's America. what all those people from everywhere out in rural Southern Oklahoma, middle of nowhere were there for. And so all of that kind of birthed um, the idea to do this read together, feed together to just celebrate books, but also um, do a little good with it. And, uh, and it was, it was lots of fun. And, you know, we shared a lot of stories that every day the readers would come and share their own stories on the Facebook page and somebody would win a thousand dollars for their food bank and a little gift certificate Incredible. to have some fun with. And it was, it was tons of fun. That's really great. But just what, what an incredible thing to do with your platform. I mean, that's incredible. You you were in a position to do that and you decided to use it for good. I just think that that speaks volumes about you. Mm-hmm. It made releasing the book a lot more fun. I mean, it wasn't, it, you know, I it did a lot it of good. It transcends it. It transcends everything, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. But it, yeah, it just made it, uh, it just made it something we were all doing together. You know, we were all sharing, we had a topic each day and all the readers were sharing their stories about a family heirloom or whatever the topic was. And, you know, that was the worst time of the COVID thing where it just really felt like yeah. anything terrible could happen, you know, yeah. and just being able to get together and share stories and, and do something good made it all feel a little better. I think. Well, you know, it reminds me that the character who's the teacher in um, the book of lost friends, she's got hungry students that she's right. feeding, she doesn't have that much herself, but she digs deep and and feeds these hungry kids. Reminds me yeah. of that. So many teachers find themselves in that position, and so many teachers take parts of their, you know, in most states, not great salaries in the first place, and spend them on school supplies, on food, on things that kids need, yeah. and you know, and it, they shouldn't have to, but they do. They're heroes. They really are. They are. Yeah. Mary Alice, what do you want to ask? All right. I'm going to read a quote. It's, it's, you know, what this is from, Lisa, is from the Book of Lost Friends in your note when you're talking about dialect. And you say, and I really loved it, in a fractured world where sensitivities related to race, economic class, and geographical dialects 
run the gamut, the retelling of history has quite honestly become a challenge. And I thought that was such an interesting point, especially right now, because we're seeing, you know, a lot of discussion of history and the sensitivities. And I'm curious, because you're writing historicals, but I think it might even be more true for a contemporary. Do you have any trepidation when you're t when you look at okay i'm writing a book using a dialect or a different economic class or a cultural class or even regarding color i mean how is this for all of us actually i think it's a really interesting question as an author today the bit of fear or trepidation or caution we have as we begin writing about a group not our own you know i think that's not just in writing um i i think Everybody, just in talking, just in having the conversations, I think people feel like they don't know what to say. You know, they don't want to say the wrong thing. They're not sure what's okay to say and what's not. Uh, it is a little easier with historicals, I, I will say, because Hanny's story, I don't do a lot of reading history books. Um, I don't really want to learn history filtered through the modern lens of a historian or a university professor or someone who studies that subject. Um, I really tend to, I want to go back to the original voices. Original so in historicals, you know, I want to hear the voices of lived experience. I want to read things that were written in the time period uh, by the people who lived it. I want to get an idea of, of just the cadence of their language and the words they used and the things they thought about and referred to. And so, you know, in Hanny's case, um, that was tons of the, the WPA slave narratives where the WPA writers went out and interviewed the last people who had experienced slavery um, during the Great Depression, you know, who the last survivors of slavery were interviewed. And so there were hundreds of those. Um, the Lost Friends ads themselves, which, of course, are the, the real stories of these people, mm -hmm. uh, narratives written in the time. So historical, I think it's a little easier because you can go back to the authentic voices and you can kind of keep at that until you feel like um, you have kind of a grasp of what the lives of people were like then. A contemporary is harder. Um, you know, and I mean, I think it's just a, a needle we're all trying to thread. How, how do we write stories that are diverse, but, you know, it, in a world that, that doesn't know what to do with that sometimes. And, I think ultimately all you can do is is write the best story you can and to speak out of love. And you really can't control how people receive it. But, you know, my feeling is I think because I grew up, you know, before the fall of the Soviet Union. So I grew up knowing that right on the other side of the world, there was this place where people were being told what they could imagine, where they could take their imaginations, what they could read, what they could write. Yeah. And so, you know, that makes me a person that's like, let the writers write, let the readers read. Let's not try to control what someone else, you know, not going in, you know, as long as we're not in the realm of, of hate speech or things that do damage. I just feel like, you know, right. I don't feel like we should control where other people can take their imaginations. That was a great answer. Thank you. Miss, Miss Mary Kay. You know, you touched on this a little bit earlier, Lisa, um, when you said that you had been in a committed relationship with <laughs> manuscript, and I wondered about that um, before you talked about that. How does that how does that work with um, with your process? Do you um, 
I, I know everybody's world is different. I, I mean, I come up with a story idea and I go back and forth with my editor and my agent. And then I start the process and I write, well, how far along do you get before you decide this book isn't getting it? <laughs> you know, I still love the other book and I will go back and, you know, uh, and do it. But when this piece of history came along, I just could see the parallels. You know, it's about separated families. Right. It's about parents wondering if they'll ever see their children again, children wondering if they'll ever see their parents again. And, you know, I think it's so easy to look back at history and like you walk through an old graveyard and you see these families who lost child after child after child after child young. And you just think, how did anybody survive that? People must have been made of different stuff back then. Mm. But, you know, the, the, the human things, they don't change. The human things are what ties us all together. Um, that love of family, that need to know your history, that need to know your people. You know, that that's the tie. That's the bond we have that makes us all the same, I think. And so I just fell in love with this piece of history, I think, because of the common threads yeah. between the two stories. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever really literally shifted gears and said, wait, no, I, this, this story has grabbed me and I, and I got to see where it takes me? Um, sort of. I had started doing, when I, right before we were yours, I had started doing the research oh, and kind of trying to put together in my head a different story that, but you know, always have this idea drawer, you guys probably do too, um, full of things you might write about. And so I, there was another one I was working on and I just, I don't, you know, sometimes things, it just, an idea just isn't gelling for you. You can't quite get it to form into story. The characters aren't coming to life for you. And so I, I pivoted and thought, oh, I think I'm going to write this, this um, story about the orphanages and, you know, Memphis and this woman in Memphis who stole the, stole all the children and adopted them out. And so before we were yours was going to be something else. And then it wasn't. That's amazing. Did you have that under deadline or did you, were you on spec so that you could say, hey, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to stretch and do something else. That was my first book in, so that's book number 30 and before we were yours is. And at that time I'd been writing, publishing about 18 years, I think something like that. Because I had little bitty kids when I, babies, babies, I would put babies in the crib and run and write for an hour during that time, you know. Um, and, and now I have big hairy-legged man children with, with children of their own. Uh, so um, so it, I had not written a book off contract since my very first one back when I had babies. And I had changed agents and uh, my agents, you know, we discussed ideas and she was like, great, write the manuscript. And, uh, you know, I, I, it was scary, but it was the most wonderful thing to write it, um, not knowing where it was going, kind of with no other voice. I always tell people your first book, that's how you write it. You write it, um, you don't know where it's going to go. You don't know who's going to publish it. You don't know if it will be published. You don't know who the editor will be. It's just you. You're not thinking, well, you know, that editor really doesn't like cats. And so I should have <laughs> in the story or whatever, um, you know, and it was, so it was sort of that kind of freedom because I yeah, didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't know who was going to publish it. I didn't know who was going to edit it, but it was just me and the book. That's and that cool. was, was right. nice. And look what was born. A beautiful baby. 
Yeah. Okay, you know, everyone. Now it is time for a Patty commercial break. Sorry. <laughs> to remind all of you about our bookstore of the week. So everybody get their glass of wine while I take a second. This is a tough <laughs> time for all locally owned businesses. And as people who love books, all of us can do some good in the world by lending a bit of support to the booksellers who are really working hard to stay in business. Um, and some of them just aren't. So each book you buy at an indie is a good deed. And at the same time, you get some great books to read. Plus, you get to keep the literary community, i.e. us, thriving. It is a win, win, win. So if you're interested in picking up any of our releases, Mary Alice is on Ocean Boulevard. Christy, who will be back next week, feels like falling. My Becoming Mrs. Lewis. Kristen's upcoming book, The Book of Lost Names. Mary Kay, Hello Summer, or Lisa's The Book of Lost Friends. Take advantage of the great 10% discount at Thank You Books in Birmingham, and the link is on the profile. So now that the four of us have had a chance to ask Lisa some questions, and I know we could keep doing this for hours. I mean, I can feel questions bubbling up. I'm holding them in. I know, I know. It's like, ooh. But, um, But we promise our amazing members will pull questions from them. So the first one that I pulled from people who wrote questions last week is from a woman named Stephanie Brown. And she said, I love how authors inform as well as entertain. Before We Were Yours also had a side story of colon cancer. I think it's wonderful that authors do that in a story. Are there any causes or conditions near and dear to your heart that you'd like to share with readers? And I know you mentioned the feed and read, but is there anything else that you've purposefully stuck in a book because it's a cause near to your heart? Oh, golly. Uh, I could probably almost name one from every book. Oh, Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, a lot, sometimes they come out of the research as you're trying to get a hold of your stories, you come across something. Sometimes they come out of life, you know, a, a lot of them for me are kids and youth and mentoring and kids who don't have all the advantages and what we can do for them and, you know, kids who are in foster care uh, and what they need from us. And A lot of that just comes from working with different organizations in the community and organizations that feed, organizations that mentor, and working with a lot of kids. You know, you can't aspire to what you've never seen. And if a kid never, ever has the chance to see that that there is a different way to do things, that there is some other way to live, um, they can't, they don't even have a chance to aspire to something different. And so, you know, kids are probably my biggest passion just because being a mom was my favorite job. And being a mom in small towns brought a lot of temporary kids into our homes. And we were involved in a lot with a lot of of young kids, little kids, and then bigger kids, because that all grows as your kids grow. Amazing. Mary Alice, I think you pulled one from... I do, and it's it's sort of a surprise. Um, It's from someone by the name of Kay Moser, which I believe you know. She's known you since 2001. And um, she says she's been so excited to watch the last two books um, are so much more than entertaining stories they have revealed injustices of the past. So her question is, is this new trend in your writing, this investigative reporting of the past, here to stay? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Um, I love, I really do love working around pieces of history and I've sort of always done it. But when the mix of timeframes became kind of more of a thing, 
I think it really lit a fire for me because I love that idea of learning something from history. You know, history teaches us so many things and, and, you know, not just the lessons, but it teaches us that people, because, you know, we're in a tough time right now. One of the lessons to be learned from history, people before us went through tough times and they came past it. Um, I never will forget after, not quick story, after 9-11, I went to pick my kids up from school that afternoon. And I passed by the little ballet studio and there were little, uh, the parents were in a knot talking. It felt like the end of the world. You, you all remember. Um, and parents were in a knot on the sidewalk talking. And there were these three little girls twirling in their tutus down the sidewalk. And my first thought was, they shouldn't be doing that. Not today. You know, when all this terrible stuff was happened, these girls shouldn't be dancing on the sidewalk. And then I remembered my grandmother telling me about Pearl Harbor Day. And when they heard it come over the radio and she heard her children out in the yard and she thought they shouldn't be, you know, yelling, running and playing when this terrible thing has happened. And she told me I got as far as the door and I just stood there and looked at my kids and thought that's the only thing right about today. Yeah, and, you know, that story was just Lovely. what I, that little piece of my grandmother's Lovely. history was just what I needed in that moment. Because I thought, you know, my grandmother went through something like this and, you know, continued on with life for many years afterward. And, you know, this is a bad day, but it's not the end of everything. That's very inspiring. That is inspiring. I have those chills you get on the back of your neck. Yeah. You know, when someone <laughs> says something true. Yeah. Kathy, you were gonna, Mary Kay, you were going to pull a couple off the um, yeah. live feed for us. Yeah, I don't know who answered asked this question, but she wants to know, um, what has the quarantine strengthened in you? That's a great question. Mm. What the quarantine has strengthened in me, I think, well, one thing is when you can't have it, you miss it. Mm. So, um, you know, just the need to get together with friends to make time for that coffee to make time for that trip to the beach together, you know, all those things we can't do. You realize the value of those, I think. And, um, and then I think for me, just making time to, um, there's a long, there's a long Dutch word for it that I can't, if it has a million vowels, I couldn't pronounce it even <laughs> if I could think of it right now, but it means um, walking in the wind or walking with the wind or out blowing. Um, and it's a de-stressor, you know, just to get out, when it's windy and walk and let the wind comb your hair and be out in nature. And you know, that's one of the things that it has strengthened for me is the realization that you need to step away and do the things that just heal your spirit of the busyness of the screen time of the crazy amount of communication we have these days. Um, so I think that's that's the thing it has strengthened in me is how the importance of those things. That's awesome. Yeah. Is there another one, Mary Kay? Yeah. Um, this is a business question somebody asked. What causes a change of agents or editors? Oh, oh wow. Um, well, change of editors is, is usually is meant the change of publishing house. Um, you know, you are going to a different publishing house. So that means a different editor um, who's at that new publishing house. Change of agents. Um, 
you know, it happens. Uh, I, one of mine fell in love and moved to England, you know, uh, <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> you just never know what's going to cause a change of agents. Sometimes it's because you're going in a little different business direction, you know, so it, it varies. And sometimes it's just, it's, you know, people liken it to like a marriage. I mean, you just need someone that you really are able to work well with at that point in your career and that point in your life and with the stories that you're writing at that time. And so, you know, I think um, just trying to get to that simpatico place where you both are working toward the same thing. Uh, you know, sometimes you're just not there. And so you, you, you change agents. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you don't, you know, early in your career, lots of times you don't have that choice. You're not yeah. given. True. You, you know, you're lucky. You feel like you're lucky to have found an agent yes. who will take you on. And when that agent places your book with an editor, Lots of times when you're early in your career, you just say, oh, okay, well, that's, yes, I'm so thankful. But then later on, as you go down, as your career progresses, hopefully, you do have some choice in those kinds of things, I think. And it's sometimes, I agree with you, and sometimes you you say yes, and you make a mistake. It's sort of, you know, it's, it is sort of like a divorce, but sometimes it's, or you're at a different place, like you said, and it's, it's um, I always say, if you have a, Take your time, if you can, to choose an agent because choosing an agent that's not right for you could could set you back. True. Yeah, true. That is true. Okay, so this is always my favorite part. On every Friends and Fiction episode, we try to give you a writing tip. And I love hearing from all our five fab posse, but from the guests, it's just been incredible. So tonight we thought you might want to hear words of wisdom from our friend, Lisa. So Lisa, if somebody asks you, what is your favorite writing tip? What do you tell them? Okay. So for me, um, I stumbled through my first couple books and the, the second one, Good Hope Road was kind of the closest to a scrap and rewrite that I ever had. Because everybody knows second book, second book is hard to write. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But anyway, as I was doing the rewrite on that, I stumbled into a screenwriting class um, by accident and the only at at a conference. Um, And by the time I realized I was in the wrong conference room, (laughs) the door was on the other end of the room. And it would have been embarrassing to get up and leave. So I sat there and I listened to this um, screenwriting class on three act structure which is there are lots of versions of three-act structure um, and you know it in your head because you know how everything from fairy tales to novels to movies are formulated. But for me, until someone laid it out for me, um, when this guy laid out three-act structure and how it looks, I mean, it just turned the light on in my head because I'm, I'm not a plotter and a planner, but it gives me the bones of the story so I can hang the flesh on it as I go. Yeah. And so that three, knowing three act structure and taking, um, and if you want to know more about how I do it, uh, it's on my website. So you can go there and look at the writing tips, but sit down with that, watch some movies, analyze out how they've done the three act structure. For me, that was the most helpful of everything I've ever learned about writing. Um, That for me was the most helpful thing. Great tip. Kristen, when she did her writing fit, uh, this so simpatico, she talked about (laughs) how she took books and took them apart like that. And so that's really simpatico. Also, y'all, if you want the the people who really excel at doing that is Disney. Any Disney 
animation, wow, they've got it down. They've got to clean the motivations of the characters. Great. Study Disney cartoon or the Lion King. animations. Yeah, the Lion I mean, King. they've got it down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I oh, I taught, I taught it. Uh, you know, a little class in it for years afterward, and I always tell people. Get the Disney movies out because <laughs> you will find it exactly. And it's clean, simple. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And you cry every yes. single <laughs> time. Yeah. Okay. We have a few announcements tonight. So Mary Kay, you want to start us off? Yes. Um, you know, we started out doing uh, Friends in Fiction 10 weeks ago. We did not know what we were doing. <laughs> but we still don't. Still don't. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> We're just inviting our friends and having a good time. <laughs> we went to Facebook Live and it started growing so fast. We we are rushing, you know, running as fast as we can to keep up with it. So you might have noticed we breezed right past 8,000 members this week, which we are so thrilled about. So to celebrate that moment, we'd like to give away two $40 gift cards to two lucky friends and fiction members. And because we are all very much right now in support of the movement in publishing to support Black authors and Black-owned bookstores, we want to offer both of those gift cards from a wonderful Black-owned store in Virginia called Books and Crannies. <laughs> we'll post a link to them on our page, too. And two winners, uh, we have, I think we have drawn two winners at random to get, be given those gift cards to Books and Crannies in Virginia. Who's got the names of the winners? We'll, we'll, post put, them them. On the, we'll put them on the page. <laughs> and Kristen, you had a couple announcements too. Take it away. Yeah, so we've all been talking about how important it is to support this movement happening right now. I think we're all being reminded of the importance of confronting our own prejudices, even the ones we don't realize we hold, and to be constantly opening our eyes beyond our own experience. So to that end, we would really love to start some discussions on the Friends and Fiction page about books by Black authors. And to start things off, we will be buying a book by a Black author for three lucky winners, all from the Lit Bar, a Black-owned bookstore in the Bronx. So to enter, just look for our post under announcement and tell us which book by a Black author you would be excited to win. So we'll draw three random winners on Friday afternoon. And the only thing we ask of you, if you win, is to come back to the page after you've read the book and tell us what you liked about it or what it made you think about. Um, so it's just kind of, we, we just want to encourage discussion. You, you all have some wonderful contributions. Everyone is saying such great things and starting wonderful conversations on the page. And we'd love to see this be something that's talked about a little bit too. So speaking of books, Books and discussions. My other announcement is that two of our members, Brenda Gardner and Michelle Marcus, have launched an official Friends in Fiction book club, which will be reading books by all the Friends in Fiction authors each month. So their first pick is Hello Summer by our lovely Mary Kay Andrews, who will be joining the book club on July 20th, I believe, to discuss the book. So check under announcements on the Friends in Fiction group page to find the link to the book club page too. All you have to do to, is uh, click to join and it's a lot of fun i'm so excited about the book club because everybody on our page was talking about how do we talk about it and then yep. some of our own members started the very own awesome. us, um, book club page so you can just go join and then mary Kay will show up on your zoom oh, and you know it, it'll be a little different than what we're doing here because she'll be on there specifically to talk about Hello Summer and answer all your questions about it. So um, it's also a place to just go and interact with other other readers and ask your questions of the authors. We're going to be dropping in pretty frequently to comment on our own books also. 
Yep. So Mary Alice, as we wind things down, will you remind us of all the upcoming guests that we have coming up this summer, including when there are times it's just the five of us? Yeah, I mean, we, I'm just going to go. I think I'll just go through July because it's a lot, but the whole list is on our page. And um, it's like... I want to keep Kathy, Mary Kay always just said it's been 10 weeks and the first couple of weeks, you know, we talked about our books, but then now it's been so much fun to have Lisa and to have all the guests come because we get to talk about your books. So we have a pretty exciting, um, through July roster, uh, on June 24th, we will have, um, just what we call just us. It's a chance for you know us to hang out and talk about what's going on a little bit more personal, up close and personal. And then on July 1st, we're back to having a guest and I'm really excited. We're having Delia Owens, who wrote Where the Crawdads Sing, which will be very cool. We love her. And then on July 8th, just us again, I guess we're having a lot of talking, just us. Then on July 15th is Jasmine Guillory. And I'm excited about that. And then on July 22nd, party time, party time. First of all, because we're going to talk about the Book of Lost Names. And first of all, I'm so excited. It's my most favorite song in the whole world from Sister Hazel. And they're coming. Oh, look who just showed up. Hello. So I would say hey to Lisa. I couldn't help myself. Good to see you. Good to see you. Sorry, Mary Alice. I was watching on my phone and it was like in a different place. I'm sorry. But Kristen, (laughs) um, what's the name of the song that Sister Hazel? Their biggest hit is All For You. I'll say what it is I see in you and if I'll always be. Yeah, they don't pay me. Oh, my God. So so they're going to be on the show. She knows them. We're gonna have she them. knows them. So how cool is that? So to celebrate the release of her book, The Book of Lost Names, we're having a special musical guest, which is cool. And then on July 29th, Patty's the host for Fiona Davis, another historical author we're excited about. So that takes us through July, and we hope you'll join us for each and every one. Yep. So that's it for tonight. Although, Christy, real quick, tell us how you're doing. Oh, I'm great. How are y'all? I'm so glad to see everybody. I'm so glad that I caught you, Lisa. I just had another event and I just wanted to pop on and say, hey, because I'm so excited that you were here and I can't wait to go watch the episode. I know it was amazing. But wait, we have like a couple minutes if you want to ask her a quick question or something you might have done if you'd been here all night. Oh, gosh. Okay. I know. But then I'm like, am I going to ask something that you guys already asked? Maybe. (laughs) I know what I can ask you because you guys have not asked this. Okay. So I was actually just doing an event with the Dare County Arts Council and Downtown Books in Manio is one of my favorite stores. And Lisa, I know that um, they're one of your favorite stores too. So can you tell us, you know, I know, of course, everyone knows about your latest books, but can you tell us about some of your... um, your older books that were set on, were they set on the Outer Banks? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, how that happened. Um, some years ago I wanted to do, I, I, I was wanted to do a story and I knew it would be in this old um, house that had been ravaged by a hurricane. And I was going to do it in Galveston because we've had our share in Texas and sure. I knew that intimately. So I had was working on the book and my, um, one of my longtime retired guy reader friends, Ed, um, Stevens had, uh, said that the, the first of the two bad hurricanes on the outer banks had happened. And he was telling me about it. He said, you need to set a book there. So everyone will come to the outer bank because everything's just devastated and all that. And I kind of said, well, you know, I might someday. 
And then um, Ed wrote back to me in about a week and said, well, I've asked my daughter, Shannon, if you want to set a book on the Outer Banks, you could come stay in her beach house. <laughs> and so then I thought, well, you know, <laughs> so that is how those books ended up, uh, a free beach house is how those books ended up being oh set God, on the Outer Banks. Great. But um, I fell in love with the Outer Banks, the history, the people, um, and that inspired two more books in uh, the Prayer Box, the Story Keeper, and the Sea Keeper's Daughters. The second two in that group of books really was just because I fell in love with the history of the Outer Banks and the people. Well, I think the takeaway from you, Lisa, is that when your readers tell you they have a good story for you, you should listen to them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> True. You're so right. And not only that, but if you're even if you're all the way into something else, because that's the hardest part, saying, yeah. okay, I've spent, and we've all done it with one yeah. story or another, I've spent all these months, all this research, and I'm going to put it over here. Yeah. So. Lisa, we have loved having you so much. So, so fast. So great. And I know we could talk for hours. And everyone, don't forget, you can pick up Lisa's latest, The Book of Lost Friends, along with our releases at Thank You Books. Thank you all for joining us. Please join us on the Friends and Fiction Facebook group and meet us back here next week when Christy will be hosting the five of us and we'll be talking writing tips and we all have lots of news. We'll be talking about that. And on the following week, we'll be here with Delia Owens and good night, everyone. Oh, she was talking and it really struck me and I, and I loved it when she was talking about, she doesn't like to read history from other sources of other historians. She likes to go to the original materials and see the actual words from yeah. the people themselves. Wow. And I think that's why her work rings so true. Yeah, it was interesting that she mentioned specifically the way people talk, because it is different from different time periods. It was interesting that word choice and, and uh, cadence were important things to her. It, that really does come across in her books. Then just the drive. I loved the three-act structure. Yeah. We've all talked about that, right, in mm -hmm. our writing tips. Like, how do you, because you're, Kristen, you're super, super outliner. <laughs> Mary Kay and I are super not. <laughs> I'm an outliner. And Mary Alice is an outliner and Christy is an outliner. And I'm so not an outliner. You're no? Sure. No idea. You're a pantser? I'm a pantser all day. <laughs> so Mary Kay and Christy and I are going to go on a retreat. And then, <laughs> or, or you better have Mary Alice and I on your retreat because we'll just all keep you in line with our outlines. Yeah, You'll be able to well, say what comes next, and we're like, "This, do this." Yeah, I know. Well, and really, I mean, I, Kristen, and I think it was Kristen and Mary Alice and I. We were in California, and I was talking about Under the Southern Sky, which is my next book. And there was this little piece of the story that I just could not figure out. And Kristen said something to me, and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> Great. And I didn't end up using like the exact thing, but I like, but it was just that I was like, oh my gosh. So it really does help to have people to. I remember it does. it does. We were doing a little, um, what did we do? Like a weekend retreat, Patty, at your house in yeah. Palmetto Bluff. Mary Alice was there yeah. and I 
here. And Cassandra King, our very dear mutual friend, was in and out. But I was running the High Tide Club, which was the most complicated multi. And it was a <laughs> it was crazy. Oh my god! It was the first yeah, time you worked hard on that club. It was the first time I had done dual timelines. You all have all done it before, but I had never done, a, you know, a back right. a backstory and a contemporary story. And I had this crazy convoluted plot. And I said, I need this to happen. And, and they looked at me and said, just make it the brother. And I went, what? <laughs> How I couldn't see that, I still, don't, I still don't know. But it's like someone else, you know, who's in tune with you, um, can say, can they can see the forest yes. for the trees when you get you just can't, no, and you two makes brainstorming so great, yeah. And you right. two see the whole forest because you outline the forest tree by tree, but. yeah. But you know, the best ideas still come. I love it when your editor and you are duking it out, I call it, and we're just having ideas and just sharing. And it's oh my god, that is a good idea or she'll say something and like okay i'll i'll cut it it's that sort of open every word is not a pearl and i thought that's the best part and it must be fun for historicals especially you know we're talking about how you get that idea when you hear it but when you're doing your research yeah and it just hits you like oh my gosh yeah. i've got to put this in that's what lisa was saying so yeah. it must be particularly true for historic yeah. Yeah. Well, what a great night. It was. It really so, was. Christy, we're going to let you lead us lead us through next week, and we'll see everybody. I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, I'm glad I got to catch y'all really quickly, and I can't wait to see you next week. Well, I can't wait to see you all at 645 in the morning. Um, yeah, exactly. No, first, guys, <laughs> it's, it, it's late, and I get to have dinner with my husband because it's our anniversary. Oh, happy, happy anniversary. <laughs> so I'm going to say goodbye, girls. I got a husband to talk Thank to. You. <laughs> Bye, Bye, everybody. Before you go to bed. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Love you, ladies. I'll see you tomorrow morning on text. Oh, yeah, all right. We'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting for Mary Kay to say, go. Go. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Go away. Go away right now. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Friends and Fiction Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Friends and Fiction Podcast wherever you listen. And if you're enjoying it, leave a review. You can find the Friends and Fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com, as well as on the Facebook group page, Friends and Fiction. Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.